Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Marcel Van Niekerk. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm clearly heard this morning. Um, good morning, everyone. I know we've already said that, but um, it's my first opportunity with you here today. Um, before we even get started, let's take a moment just to close our eyes, and we are just going to pray together. Father God, thank you that we just take a moment just to, to quiet ourselves in this room. And we know your, your spirit is already present here because we've been in your presence singing, worshiping, and just adoring you. But we just pray that in this moment you come and this little farmland called our heart and our spiritual, the spiritual space, Father God, just come and open it up. And we pray that you just open up our minds even where our cognitive thinking is taking place. And you just open us to receive and to be sensitive to your Spirit's leading. And as we open the Word and as your Spirit moves in us, that our faith will interact with what we hear. And Father God, that things will change on the inside. I also pray this prayer, Lord God, that today you help me to totally withhold my thoughts and my ideas and ideologies and things from this. And Father God, that you just guide me by your spirit and what I share and what I speak will be from you, inspired by you. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you as I'm preaching, please lead me. Please help me to stay within what your heart is for this morning's message. And um, Father God, that is really just our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're um, obviously a small group in this space. And if you, uh, as I start sharing, um, my message might sound confronting, especially if we're in such a small space. Um, you might be thinking, is Marcel speaking to me? What does he know? To whom did he speak? What did he share? Um, and I just want to say, let's not have any of that. That's the enemy giving the enemy room um, to be in our midst. And um, yes, yeah, so... I, as I get started today, I want to lay down a very clear premise, and the reason why I want to lay down this premise is because of what I will be speaking about, um, and what I want to share about today is about righteousness and holiness. I even want to speak about sin today, and with those being important themes within God's Word, there definitely also is very different schools of thought there's different opinions when it comes to when we speak about righteousness, when we speak about holiness, when we speak about sin. And that's why I want to make it very clear by laying down a premise of what I am not saying and what I am trying to say. Um, and that's really important for me. So to start off with, what I want to just share is that today I am not talking about performance or works I want to make that very clear. I want to make it clear that today's message is in no way about trying to twist God's arm by trying to do better or working harder. Today is no, by no means getting you as a people and getting myself to jump back into trying to perform legal requirements and getting back into a list of things that we must do and must not do. 
Today is definitely not about you and I trying to do something from ourselves. But what today is about is about understanding who we are as a new creation. Understanding that new creation identity in Christ that died on the cross for you and I. Today is about understanding the power of the cross. It's about understanding that God's word mixed with the spirit and when we encounter his presence and when it's stirred with faith can change something on the inside of us. And that's what we wanna talk to you about. What, what I want, what we are talking about is understanding that in my life, there may be areas where I'm living in great victory, in great, um, I'm conquering, but there could be areas where I'm struggling also. There could be areas in this life where I'm still pretty messy. And what I am talking about and speaking about is that God comes and meets us in that messy place. But he doesn't meet us in our mess so that we can linger there and wallow in our mess. God meets us in our mess so that he can point us and equip us with everything we need to move forward and progress in victory. Think about the prodigal son. As he is out there, and I'm gonna read this. Sorry that I'm reading from my phone because I was just prompted to read this portion. It says the following. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. What we need to understand is that it was while the prodigal son was in the field with the pigs and, and contemplating, will I eat these pods with the pigs, that he grows an awareness and he's reminded of his father's house and the abundance thereof. But that awareness of what he's missing out on doesn't cause him to stick around with the pigs and eat the pods. It drives and propels him forward into victory and returning to the Father. And that's why I'm saying the Father meets us where we are at. In our mess, he's not scared of that, believe me. But he meets us there so that he can take us forward. And that is so important. And I'm sharing today because I have this concern that, that so often we see that this Christian freedom, this new covenant liberty that we talk about in the New Testament is showing itself more and more often as compromise in the believer. And if that is not freedom, if that is not this new covenant freedom that Christ purchased us, then what is this freedom? I believe this freedom is the power of the cross living and active inside of us that frees us from the clutches of sin and death, that it has no hold on us. Because, and the reason why we are free from the clutches of sin and death is because the um, because our righteous and holy identity in Christ starts to raise the bar. I wanna use an illustration. Most people here today probably know that we recently opened a coffee shop. Three weeks ago, um, we had our health and sanitation inspection. But before we did that, I decided I'm gonna invite Jack Stefano, he's the owner of a restaurant, 
come in and do a walkthrough with me through this space because we want to make sure we pass this inspection. So we look at a couple of things, and one of the things he reminds me is, remember, Marcel, the FDA code requires that anything that is in contact with food needs to be lifted six inches off the ground. And he said, just remember that, double check it everywhere. And my wife and I, as we're planning, we decide, you know what, we're gonna try and lift everything six inches off the ground. Then we know we're not in trouble. What many people don't know is that last week, Thursday, two, two weeks into business, it's a Thursday, 6.30 p.m. the evening. Jordan Elias, the owner of the McAllister Apartments, calls me up and he says, Marcel, you need to head over immediately. There's a fire on the second floor in an apartment, and we think the sprinkler water is running down into your cafe. Um, we get in our car, I drive there, and I walk into this very disheartening scene. It looks like there is a torrential downpour coming through the ceiling, and the majority of the floor area in the coffee shop is flooded with about two to one inches of water, and everything is pretty drenched. But in that moment, I say, praise God that about two weeks before that, there was a man that challenged us and said, raise the standard. And by God's grace, we followed his instruction and lifted things off the ground so that when the enemy came in like a flood, the only thing that we had to do is get mops and broom and just clean up and dry off. But we didn't lose anything. We didn't have any damage. We had a good workout and we had a good opportunity to build community with people that just came in to help. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, the, the word says in Isaiah 59, I just wanna give you that proper, it's verse 19, he says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises the standard, raises a banner against the enemy. And freedom is not about us dipping our toes again in the things of our old life. That is not what freedom is about. You see, what freedom is, is about is that we can be surrounded by sin. We can even walk in the midst of sin. We can be surrounded by compromise, but it has no power on us. It has no hold on us. Yes, Jesus, think about Jesus. He was amongst the drunks, but he was no drunk. Jesus was amongst the fornicators and the adulterers, but he was neither a fornicator nor an adulterer. Jesus was amongst sin, darkness, death, but sin, darkness, and death had no power in his life. And the thing is, Jesus was in the midst of all these things so that he could be the stark difference not the blending compromise. And that's really important to know. While we know that is Jesus, and that makes me think of a few questions that I wanna ask myself. Marcel, are you, when your life is in the midst of sin and darkness and evil, are you the difference or are you the blending compromise? And I wanna ask a few questions and this is where I'm saying this is small room dynamics. So please don't let the enemy steal in a moment where he has no right. But I started asking myself this, these questions. How's my language when I'm hanging around with the boys? 
Or when, when I'm playing online games and I have an avatar I can hide behind and nobody knows who this person is. And I'm mic'd up or I can type. What am I typing? What am I saying? I can remember when I was a young man, not married yet, and I had hormones and desires and all those things inside this body. How's our relationships looking? Young men, are we sleeping with our girlfriends? I'm not saying this to guilt anyone or to put anyone to shame anyone. What I just realized is that we're living in a time where these questions are no longer being asked in the church. But that does not mean the word of God stops presenting these truths to us. My questions are, how does your anger in your heart and in your emotions deal with when the political party that you do not support releases something that you don't like? I want to ask you, how, how does your heart and your inner being do when the Spanish family or the black family or the white family comes and sits in the booth next to you? Can I make this very South African from you because that's my heritage? You're going to laugh at this. But I could remember in South Africa at school, where it's a mixed school, there was about 65% black and Indian kids, the rest was white kids. And I remember my white friends, how they would respond when there's a braid of artificial hair that the black folk would weave into their hair, if they found that lying in in a public space. I remember the remarks and the things they would say. How do you do if you see an African braid lying in a public space? Hmm. How's our hearts doing? And I'm just going to throw in a random name. When Bob's social media enjoys more attention and comments and interaction than mine does. How do, how do I do when Bob is driving a new car because of a raise he got? A promotion at work. Please, if you're sitting here and some, your toilet chain is being pulled... Please, I didn't speak to anyone. No one had a conversation with me. I'm just throwing random questions out there. And if you're getting flashed at it to this moment, it's not because I know something. I'm just, I'll get to a portion of scripture later on and then I'll, I'll explain where I come from. John 15 verse 19 says the following. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. This is the gospel paradox. This is some interesting stuff. The fact that God saves us out of the world just to send us back into the very thing he saved us from, but now to accomplish his kingdom purposes. But there's something that we often miss out on, and that is that preparation time. If you think of Moses, think back to Exodus 2, verse 11 to 22. Moses is, um, he comes across an Egyptian that is mistreating a Hebrew, and he kills that um, Egyptian. What does he end up doing? He flees into the desert, into the wilderness for 40 years. I'm not talking about the 40 years when he leads the Israelites out of Egypt. And this 40 years becomes the preparation time where God's working on the inside of him so that he knows how to take a people through the very same place. Think of Paul and his amazing ministry. Paul is one of the most influential leaders in the New Testament. When you read Acts, 
it's interesting that there are 16 verses dedicated to Paul's conversion. But what a lot of us don't understand, the timeline within Acts, we read it as consecutive events that followed on each other in a very short period of time. But actually, there's a period after Paul's conversion where he goes under training for 14 years. And then the 16 chapters that follow is all about the 10 years of ministry that followed the 14 years of preparation. And if you maybe don't know this this morning, it's, it's fine. We learn as we go. But we need to understand there is purpose in our preparation. 1 John 4 verse 4 says the following, You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What is the purpose of preparation? The purpose of preparation is discovering this one who is greater on the inside of us. It is about, it's about discovering Christ in me and through the word, through spirit, through presence, through um, engaging in God's presence, through our faith, we start building, establishing, nurturing Christ in me. And this greater one on the inside of me grows and he rises up. And actually what is happening, we are being established in our identity. Because that's our identity, Christ in me. I remember this illustration as a young boy. Um, my dad, as he trained me how to, just as a teenager, because I got past the years of where spanking was effective, because I probably just had a bad attitude. So he's navigating my teenage years as, um, and he's teaching me and equipping me how to deal with life. And I still made horrible decisions. I still failed. But I could remember he told me this thing, Marcel, if what you carry on the inside of you is not greater than what the environment carries that you're going to immerse yourself in, you're not ready for that environment yet. And that is the mistake we make. We don't honor the time of preparation and then we prematurely place ourselves in environments that we are not ready, yet, uh, ready for yet. And what happens is we have these small seeds, these truths. We, we have them on the inside of us. But we need to nurture these seeds, these truths. We need to nurture them through word. We need to nurture them through the spirit and through getting into God's presence. We need to nurture them through faith so that the seed can become an oak of righteousness. And that happens, that, that, because if that doesn't happen, what does the parable teach us when seeds are sown? They get trampled on or the birds of the air come and steal them. So if we are not processing the stuff we're receiving, how have you, I want to ask this question, how did you process Nathan's message from last week? Did you go back and interact with that word through scripture, through faith, through spirit? Or did the seed, did the birds of the air come and steal the seed in this week? The preparation is important because it's what turns seeds into sprouts, into saplings, into oaks of righteousness. And we need to stir up, yes, Christ, when we get Christ, we receive the full measure of him. 
but there's a prayer, less of me and more of you. You could be bonsaiing Christ in you because you're still allowing more of you. And you know what a bonsai does? It looks like a beautiful tree, but it's any teeny little tree. So you have the fullness of Christ in you. But as long as there's more of you and less of God, you are, you are bonsaiing the identity of Christ in you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says the following, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things has passed away. The new have come. You see the bar of holiness and righteousness rising in our lives is not about performance. It's not about you trying better on yourself. It's not about you being more disciplined. It's not about you having better self-control, those type of things. It is about you understanding, embracing, nurturing Christ in you. And I just realized I said too many times you and not we because it's relevant to myself as, as well. And the way we embrace the identity of Christ in us is get it mixed up with the word, get it mixed up with the spirit and presence, get it mixed up with faith. Galatians 5 verse 1 to 2, a beautiful portion of scripture where Paul is speaking to the Galatian church. And the reason why he's dealing with them is because the Judaizers, or however you want to pronounce that word, is trying to convince the Gentile believers, hey guys, you need to uphold the old legal requirements. So Paul steps in and he says, hey guys, it's by grace through faith that you are justified. It is by faith alone that you can live in the freedom of the Spirit. If that sounds familiar, it is this portion of Scripture that becomes revelation to Martin Luther and that stirs up the Reformation. And I'm going to read a rather long piece of Scripture this morning, but I'm reading Galatians 5, and I'm going to read from verse 13, and we're going to get all the way through to verse 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do you not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather than serve one another humbly in love? For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit wants what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Could you remember the questions I asked earlier? That, that I said, I'm not shaming, I'm just presenting you. Just if we read over there, the word of God presents these questions to us. Fits of rage, anger, envy, jealousy, sexual immorality, it's right there. I'm not shaming, I'm just presenting, reminding us of what the word of God already is. If we place the, the word in front of us like a mirror, the word asks us these questions. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This portion of, um, of the word is so clear on what freedom is. Freedom is not for us to walk in compromise with the old things that we used to do. Freedom truly is walking in the Spirit and producing the fruit of the Spirit. But there's also more to the Spirit, and I wanna read John 16, verse eight. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I know with this portion of Scripture, just a few weeks ago, we had a conversation on the Scripture, and there's different views of this. Some say that the Spirit only convicts the world and not believers of sin. It doesn't matter. This one thing I do know is that if there's any part of the world in me, if there's any, any residue of the world in me, if there is any trace of the world in me, then Holy Spirit, I beg you come and convict me because obviously I'm not aware of it. So it doesn't matter what your interpretation is of that. If our prayer must be, God, if there's anything of the world in me, bring your Holy Spirit, let him do his work in me. Because when the, we're scared of the word convict, you know why? Because we think of it in our, through our earthly experiences. But I know the Spirit of God is a gentleman. I know the Spirit of, a God, of God is like a, a father. I know the Spirit of God is wise. He's been around long more than any of us. And I know the Spirit of God, when He convicts, He comes and He sits down and He works with us in a way where the only, the only thing that can truly happen is us just surrendering because we don't realize I don't need to fight with Him. And I say, if there's any residue of the world in me, God, come bring your Spirit, bring conviction because... I wanna walk in this true freedom of righteousness. But let's stop here for a moment because I've been speaking the whole time and sharing that it is the word, it's the spirit and presence and it's faith that it is needed. But I, I wanna, and in Galatians 5, I really hammered on the, the work of the spirit. But I wanna take a moment to speak about the, the word of God. John 8 verse 31 to 32 says the following. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you be, abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I can remember I, when I went to ministry school in 2005, you know general ed subjects, how boring they are when you go study? It feels like a waste of time. In this ministry school, they had a general ed subject that was very interesting. It was called Word. And it had seven levels, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Basically, if you reached Word um, seven, you memorized more than 700 verses of scripture, and not because it's a legalistic requirement, not because you, so that you can walk around and quote scripture with your eyes closed while fasting and looking sad on the corner of streets. No, they, 
all the scripture you'd learned was written in a story with different themes. So there was a salvation theme. There was a um, theme on your identity in Christ. There was a theme on walking in victory. And the reason why we were taught these verses is so that when you are in that theme of life, you have the word inside of you so that the Holy Spirit can call it into remembrance. Because read what it says here, and you will know the truth and the truth will set us free. The truth that sets you free is the truth that we know. It's the truth that we have made part of our inside. Now, I'm not saying, oh, you need to go and memorize 700 scriptures. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, it's very wise to dive into God's word and to know it. Because it's the truth we know that sets us free depending on the chapter of life that we're in. Let's get to Daniel. Can I just quickly check my time? Is it fine with you if I read or do you find it boring? Okay, um, because I, I, I wanna read this story because I'm probably gonna, can I, I'll make it interesting with my accent, are you ready? Okay, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, um, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, I'm reading Daniel 1, by the way, and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his la- um, hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. I'm in verse 3. And I'm reading, by the way, from the New American Standard Bible. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths, in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Shah. As I'm reading that, I'm wondering, would I qualify? Would I qualify? Would I qualify? Am I handsome enough? Because these men were obviously good lookers. Okay, verse five. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishal, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Balthazar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishal, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. I don't know which names are easier. (laughs) Verse 8, but Daniel made it up in his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food, or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the uh, officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink for why should he see your faces look more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head. Forfeit my head means lose my head, okay, to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the obvious overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave, gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Let's stop there. I think Daniel 1 verse 8 is probably one of the verses of Scripture that has formed my life the most. I love this verse of Scripture. I'm going to read it again. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. This portion where it says made up his mind is from a Hebrew word called wayashum. And this wayashum, which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly, has some of the most beautiful uses, and I want to share them with you so that we could start understanding what happened in this moment where a young man is offered everything the king has, but he says, no, I have made up in my mind. This wayashum means to purpose in your heart. It means to set a door in a frame, meaning you allow what comes in and what goes out. You determine what has access. This word means to set up a sign. Isaiah 59 verse 19, the enemy comes in like a flood, but the Lord lifts a banner. It's setting up a banner. This word means to lay a covering over something to protect it. This word means that you make it happen. It's not just a good attention. It's not just me thinking, oh, I want to be a good person and I talk the talk. And when people listen to me, they think, oh, wow, what a religious young man. It is actually coming to the place where you decide to make it happen in actions, in lifestyle. This word means that you lay upon the altar. It means that you place a ring. To place a ring on something means you are cutting covenant. Job said in, verse, um, in chapter 31, he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully on any woman. Daniel is covenanting in his heart that I will not defile myself with what the world offers. It means to set up a pillar and a pillar upholds. It means to put distance between myself and something. And you know what? I would love to have the king's food. I'm sure it was organic. I'm sure it was prepared and it was whole food. I can imagine that wine must have been amazing. If you ask me, what was so wrong with it? Because surely there does, it doesn't sound like there could be much wrong if you presented with that. But Daniel makes a decision and he says, the, everything that results from my life, no one else will be able to lay claim on it. The king would not be able to say, oh, it's because of what I fed him, what I gave him to drink. 
the only honor will be able to go to God. And let's just remind everyone, we read over there 10 days. They were tested for 10 days. But if I understand Scripture correctly, they did that for three years to follow. But let's go back to this. This is the part that, that, that just wrecks me on the inside. But Daniel made up his mind. In verse 8, Daniel makes up his mind, but when you get to verse 10, verse 11, verse 12, all his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are all following in the decision he made. It doesn't say there, Daniel and his friends made the decision. Daniel made the decision. And he influenced his environment to follow him along the path that he determined. And the question is this, is your environment, I wanna make, include myself. Is the environment leading us and influencing us or are we influencing the environment? And you see, when we purpose in our hearts that we would not defile ourselves with the things of this world. So before, I have to throw this in there. So let's just remember, it's not about performance. It's not about trying harder. It's not about twisting God's arm. It's about embracing your identity of the greater one that is in you. When we purpose in our hearts, I will not defile myself with the king's food. When we live from our identity, the natural response, when you read on in the verses where I stopped and you continue past verse 17, the direct result is that you rise up. The direct result is that you will be, become a person of excellence. Ex Daniel is described as a person of excellence. In this context, it doesn't mean he does things good. Excellence, the original word, I just had this conversation in this week with someone. They reminded me that excellence in this portion means that he was a pioneer that led the way for how things are to happen. When we live from this identity, the automatic response from the heavens is greater authority. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is in me. And it's not because I deserve it. It's not because I behaved enough. It's not because of all the things I did. No, it is because I start understanding who I am. Jesus, in Luke 5, verse 52, that was pretty awkward, Jesus. And then <laughs> um, in Luke 5, verse 52, it says there, it says, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If you read all the verses in Luke chapter 2, up to verse 52, it's a story of a 13-year-old boy staying behind in a temple preaching and wrecking people. And everything that follows in Luke chapter 3 is a 30-year-old man getting ready to be baptized. This portion of Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God is talking about the years between 12 and 30 years, a time of preparation. And the thing that we need to realize is the scripture reads, 
increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We first work on stature with God before we go seek it with man. Everything we are trying to accomplish with man, we must first accomplish with God. In His presence, at His feet, seeking His face. We cannot expect to accomplish things with man if we have not first experienced it with God. And that's where we get things wrong. That's why we prematurely place ourselves in environments where we are overthrown and we end up with compromising lifestyles because we, we, we are eager. And it's good that we are eager. We have great desire and uh, to see that things are happen. But I wanna encourage us that we have to work on this greater one that is in us. And we have to learn to lead, follow the lead of his spirit so that the seed can become the oak. So today I'm sharing, today I wanna speak to each person over here and I'm speaking to myself as well. My prayer is that you're walking in victory and that you are conquering. But if you are viewing online or if you're in this room today and there's an area where it's still messy and marshy, I wanna say this thing. Man of God, spirit, a woman of God, rise up to your identity. I wanna call you forth. You can be liberated. You can be freed from that mess. And the way to be freed from it is to respond to your identity and to allow God to disciple you in your identity. Because when I realize I am a son of God, I wanna act like a son of God. I wanna talk like a son of God. I wanna behave like a son of God. I have no interest in, in these things because I understand who I am. So today, Marcel, people sitting in this room, people online, I call forth your godly identity in the name of Jesus. And God, my prayer is this, that any person today walking here realizing that their toes are possibly still dipping in the things of their old life, any person realizing, wow, Marcel, when you asked the question, you did flush my toilet because you pulled on my chain. To any person out here that maybe is in this moment experiencing that, wow, there's this area where I prematurely placed myself in an environment that I was not ready for. for. God, all these people I bring before you, and I say, God, it's not from ourselves. It is through your word, through your spirit, through your presence and our faith, Father God, that we walk free from sin and that we rise up in our identity. So I, God, I pray, unveil our eyes and our minds to see and understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And that, Lord, is my prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. While Nathan walks up to close, I just wanna remind you of this one thing. Don't allow the enemy today 
to have what is not his. Today's message is not about you feeling shamed or guilty. If you're experiencing any of that, tell the enemy to go where he belongs. And what I would encourage you, if you do feel anything like that and you got rid of the enemy and told him where he needs to go, just get in front of God. Just say, Holy Spirit, come and work with me. Speak to me. I promise you, God will show you the steps. He will be a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. And that is just my prayer in Jesus' name. And I'm going to hand over. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.